this show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 154 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, what, Jason? What's going to happen on today's show? <laughs> you tell me. I You're the guy with the plan, right? Uh, I don't actually have a plan. I just thought I'd start that way, just to be slightly different. <laughs> okay. So what is the plan? What are we talking about? I guess we should catch up on what's going on with anything. All right. That's always your default, isn't it? Well, because I do know that you've been putting in a lot of hardcore effort into it, so... Uh... So I think I'd like to hear about it. <laughs> right. Well, um, we, I talked a lot about it in the last show, so I don't know how much it's worth me going into it now. But um, most of my effort has been going towards the, um, the back and forth between the uh, client and the expert. Yeah. So that, that process requires a lot of, um, a lot of uh, at least a handful of steps. Maybe each side has like two steps. So the client says, I want to reserve a session. Pick some times. The expert gets an email, clicks on that, goes to a form, decides whether it can do it. And if yes, what are the times they can do? Selects those times, submits it. Another email is generated, goes back to the client. The, you know, that kind of stuff. I was speaking to you about this yesterday and um, you, were t- you were showing me through and talking me through what you've been doing. And you have a very interesting way of, of working that is that seems weird to me. And I just thought I'd bring it up. Um, so each of the emails you're doing in line in the PHP, right? Mm-hmm. And you're doing that because that's easier and faster for you. I, I think that's why you're doing it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, I do the simplest thing at a work. So that's, so they're variables. So each of the emails are variables in, internally in the code. Is that right? Yeah. Well, there's a function like, li- li- like, let's say that um, the expert submits the form that proposes the time the times. And so an email needs to go back to clients says, here's some times that I'm available. Yeah. Right. There's a function called send email to client. Right. And there's like two or three lines. And, and then I have a generic function called send system email, which puts on a couple of the trailers and that's it. You know, it's like two, three lines. So it doesn't, requ- it doesn't really need to have a whole template and a separate, save in a separate file. If it's like two or three lines. Right. But is, is a lot of your work tweaking what the email says? as a lot of my work. I mean, I've been going back and forth on tweaking it and, you know, it's just kind of like, it's, it's almost like when you're putting together furniture, <laughs> you're kind of going around, you're kind of, you're tightening things and you're making sure everything's in place. So you go back and forth. Is this what should be on this form? Is this the email that should be sent? And is, is the, is the messaging, right? You know, it's a lot of that. It's just back and forth. So for, for, for me, what would be easier? And I, and I know that that's easier for you, but for me, what would be easier would be always to just have a directory full of text files. And then if, if each part, you know, if, if a path was, for example, you know, I get it. I get it. I mean, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. so I could then go through the text files and edit them and, and, and the code would be pulling them in. I, that would just be quicker for me to develop. So I thought it was just interesting. Oh, well, I mean, you know, it's like when you, when it's like two lines, I mean, how much easier is easy? I mean, is it like yeah, right, five okay. microseconds? I mean, you know, give me a break. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah. So Wait, it's just so it's a very short. Which is what happens a lot of these arguments about coding methodologies and coding tools. People are arguing over pennies. So well, how, how are you keeping it down to two lines? What, how, are we able to get the full message across in two lines? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So here's, here's sort of my, um, the process I went through. So I think I mentioned this a little bit before. So like you, you kind of have this convergence, this product convergence. So like you have this idea and you go and you do something, you realize it's wrong. And so you kind of flip and go the other side and then you realize that's not quite right either. The other side is right, but not as much. You kind of like you're, you're, you're kind of flipping back and forth and you're converging towards the, what's going to work. So my first step, uh, the, the emails tend to be a little longer. They tended to give more information. So let's say that you were the client is the first step. The client is going to reserve wants to reserve a session with an expert. Okay. Initially, I was putting in the whole description of the of what the client wants, which is kind of what we've mocked up, right? Yeah, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because what you want is you want the expert to go to the form and you want to read the whole thing there because you want them to perform an action. Right, because if, they, if they've got it all in the email, they think, oh, I'm here, I don't need to do anything. Yeah, it's easy for you to kind of, oh, I read it, and then like, it almost gives you a sense that like, I did something, but yeah. you need to do something. So if we just say, hey, you know, so-and-so wants to do a session with you at your rate of $200 an hour, click here kind of thing, right? So you're going to click here, which is going to bring you up to the form, and then you're going to be at that step where like either I need to either decline this request or I need to just select a couple uh, of times and, and, hit, and hit submit, right? So if you, if, you, if you hold back, if you provide too much information in the email, that's my sense is you're, you're going to reduce the chance that people are actually going to perform the action they need to perform because they're not going to go to the web page to do it. I totally agree with that. And the less text in the email, the better, and the more likely we are to get them to just read it in the first place and perform an action based on it. So yeah, well, this, I couldn't agree more. There's the other, um, the other issue too, is that when emails are long, you have a tendency to just kind of queue them up. Like you don't read them. Like you're like, I don't, if it's more than a sentence or two, I mean, it depends on the person, right? It depends how busy you are. But obviously if you have a three paragraph email, I know about you, but a lot of times I'll look at it, my eyes glaze over and I'm like, oh, I have to read this later. You know, yeah. I just can't. I just can't do it right now. But if it's like a one or two sentence thing, I can just deal with it right now. I like to just clear it out automatically. And I, I don't think I'm special in that way. I think most people will deal with short to the point emails that they don't have to think about. And that's what we want them to do. We want them to respond quickly because if I'm a client and I send an email, I, I do a, a session request to an expert, ideally I'd like to hear back like right away. I mean, it'd be awesome if I heard back in like 10, 15 minutes or half an hour, not like eight hours later. It's a completely different, uh, it would be a, just like Google's um, uh, focus on having page load speed being a huge factor in people's, um, in the, just the product quality of the product experience. I think the same thing with us. The, the higher, the quicker that we can get our clients and experts to, to, to respond to what they're supposed to do, the better the experience can be for everybody. Well, we could, we could follow the methodology of three sentence email. Have you heard of that? I know the concept, yeah, I know that uh, uh, Andrew Warner had talked about it. But yeah, just, I mean, that's essentially it. I mean, I'm even trying to keep it short as that. I mean, I try, what's the simplest thing that we can say to get the information across that we need to at any point? So if anyone wants to find out about that, just Google three-sentence email, and um, there, there is an entire website about explaining it and how it works and, and how you can do that. And yeah, Andrew Warner do, like, does that religiously. Any, any um, contact we've ever had with him has always been exactly three sentences. So I guess when you have that many emails, I think Andrew Rose also does that. As, Andrew no, Rose? Sorry, Kevin, Kevin Rose. I think Kevin Rose also does that. So Yeah, well, okay. And so when you're talking about the emails and text files, I mean, yeah, you know, it's kind of like as the system grows and, and we get things um, 
working, then you can kind of refactor and say, okay, let's make these emails templates and let's do this. And you kind of formalize things a little bit. But my idea is get, get the damn thing up and working and quit worrying about, you know, engineering um, beauty. Just get it going. And yeah, something like, yeah. does it have templates or not? I mean, it's like... Well, what I'm thinking you know, is like, okay, so yeah, that's, that's kind of fast, fast now. But as soon as we're using it with like beta testers or something like that, and they, they mention stuff... Then we have to go into the code rather than our one folder of emails to, to, to change that. And it would at that stage, it would probably be easier. Yeah, to have I mean, so what's it going to take me, like a half an hour to yeah, say yeah, load yeah, right. template and put, save as files? So it's yeah. these are like nothing. I mean, there's like, you know, 50 things that are like way more important that are blocking the system from being a working system. And that's not blocking anything. Yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't actually, it wasn't really a criticism. It was just- Oh, it uh, was. It no, was. it wasn't. It wasn't. It, it was but, just, it, it was, it's just interesting the way that we do things differently. That was all. It, that was I, all. you know, we've talked about this before. I mean, I, you, you have a tendency to say, I know what I'm going to do, so I'm going to go ahead and do this kind of right now, you know, right, correctly now. Right. And where I'm like, I do the simplest thing that's going get to get it up and working. And then if it's actually even the, if I'm even doing the right thing or if it's even going to- stand this test of time then i go back so okay well, let me let me formalize this a little bit clean it up make it right yeah. because so oftentimes you just write code and it's it's so, it's not even solving the right problem so whether you did it right or not doesn't even matter so well that's just the pragmatic programmer's approach there really yeah. is nothing wrong with that whatsoever so yeah and, and since and since i don't work i think i think i have a tendency when you work with other people other coders you might be a little more um conscientious of how your code how formalized your code is to other people because if it's not then you have people kind of stick their nose in there and go well that's not the right way to do it and you don't want to have yeah. to deal with that so you're like well i'm just gonna do it right just so i don't have to take any shit from anybody <laughs> i don't have anybody giving i don't really care it's just like i'm just getting the thing where all you care is if the thing works right now right yeah did, yeah this thing work are we live can we get this thing going that's what's important not whether some um programmer on the other side of the floor you know some other cubicle is like oh this is like you know jason's writing code the wrong way it's like you know so I've been working on the scheduler, and um, that's that's the, the pure JavaScript scheduler. And we've had some good discussions about um, about how we're going to interface the back end with that. And I like I like your idea of fully abstracting all my JavaScript stuff because basically when they point and drag and create their scheduled times, it just dumps it into a hidden um, form variable just as as um, JSON, which is just very nicely abstracted. And then your form just posts it to the server. And you just deal with it there. I like yeah, that. I mean, in a sense, it's just a, it says we want to behave like a control, like it's like a you know, like a, a normal uh, form control, and and so that it's easy to get the back the the data back and forth to the server. So yeah, what was interesting yesterday was um, w w it's this whole integration process. You're writing some code. It's gonna. I'm writing some. Code. They somehow have to interface, right? We have to get stuff from the database, from PHP to the page into this JavaScript control non-trivial amount of information you didn't interact with it and then when the when the form is submitted this information has to be transmitted back with all the other form variables if there are any in a form in in any in, in a uh, sort of method that a, that form processing can understand yeah so i'm just to some background for the listeners i'm i'm building something like a, a little bit like a simple version of google calendar kind of thing where you drag and drag and drop to select time ranges that you can use to propose to the expert for you to work with them. So that's the kind of JavaScript widget that I'm building. And for the expert to then return and say, okay, these are the times that I will be available. Yeah, exactly. So it's a couple, and this was a few different steps there, but. So what was your point about the, about why that was interesting? Well, it's just like, 
I mean, yesterday I, I, I wanted to force the conversation of integration. Like, let's formalize the touch points. So, like, you're building this thing. We're talking in this very sort of informal manner of like, okay, you have some date ranges that you're going to give to me, and I'm going to give some to you. Yeah. And like, but we never really talked about like, what does that even look like, right? Yeah. We even, we we even though we had we had somewhat different ideas of how that was going to happen, and that affected both what, of what we were each doing. Right. It was impactful in terms of how data was going to be um, handled on each of our sides. So we had like a little shared screen session where we, we sort of hashed it out and said, right, let's formalize this, 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 this sort of interface between. Yeah. And, and once you get that set, you're OK. But and, and one thing that I just I've learned, uh, I learned the hard way, I guess, fairly early on in my coding career is that when you kind of have multiple coders working on something and they have big pieces, like someone's building the chassis for a car and the other one's person the, building the engine. And then you work on it for six months and then you go, all right, let's just lay, lower in. <laughs> this doesn't even fit. That's you a know? great, that's a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it happens. You're like, Oh, wait a minute. It's like backwards. And these, these tubes are too small and these screws are misaligned by about half an inch. And you're just like, this is a nightmare because you, you know, you thought at some level, at least by the schematics and your conversations that you were speaking the same language and everything's going to fit in with, but it's so often not the case. There's so much complexity. So the, I found the easiest thing to do is kind of get that interface set and, and get, and actually try and hook it in. Another way I describe me is getting your arms around the problem. Like just get, even if the scheduler is like 30% complete and it's ugly and doesn't do some stuff, have some bugs. And even if my stuff isn't storing all the information, it's just get our touch points proven that like you can drag drop it in and it and the information is being exchanged well that's that's a formal i mean there's a formalized version of that called mock objects um and basically anyone can google mock objects and, and it is that it's like it's it's any external dependencies and you just basically fully spoof the interface so essentially that's what that's what you're doing right because we've you you know the data structure the exact data structure that i'm going to send you and i've i don't have anything working yet in terms of sending data to you. So you can just put that spoof data in, which is essentially, it actually is a mock object because it literally is a mock object, it's a JSON object. And then you can work with it as you need. And um, this is also great for, if for example, you're develop developing locally and you, you've got some database that's the other side of the web on a cloud and you don't have any internet connectivity, you, know, mm -hmm. you, you can do that via mock objects or whatever, just basically spoof the, um, spoof the in interactivity. Right. Well, um, but you know, it's, but if we had not had that conversation yesterday, All right, we, no. we would have been yeah. in trouble. Yeah. We would have caused ourselves a lot of pain and there would have been, um, because the, the way we were describing date ranges were completely different. The way we were, I mean, it was just all different. Right. And, um, I, I just want to just emphasize how important that is. And, and even something that seems as trivial is, a, is like a control. You know, it's like, okay, so how, how different can it be? Well, it's just the terminology, the structure. It was just all different. And um, I'm just, uh, yeah, it's important to get that stuff squared away. But it was cool to get that done. It made me, I was, I was happy after our conversation because we really clarified everything. And yeah, that was good. Cool. Okay. Well, um, do I have some blog posts uh, that I've, looked at that I thought might be fun to talk about. Do you have anything? Sure, go ahead. Um, did you see the um, online hackers threaten to expose cartel secrets? Did you see that? Mm, no, I don't on, I think I've mm. So basically, Mexican drug cartel have uh, kidnapped someone, and that person happens to be a member of Anonymous, 
Um, and so Anonymous have basically said, look, you need to release that person. Otherwise, we're going to make available your, you know, your entire, everyone in your organization, all your businesses. We're just going to put that out there on the 5th of November. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to mess with Anonymous. That's, that, you really don't. <laughs> well, but, but the thing is, it's like, if they do that, then the drug cartel are going to have massive reprisals and way more people are going to get killed, right? Well, they don't know who Anonymous is. You know, I, don't think I mean, it's one thing for the FBI to be able to figure out who a few of the members are. The, drug, the, the, the Mexican drug cartel, I'm sure, does not have the intellectual... Yeah, but won't, won't they know, just treat uh, it as like a blunt instrument and they'll just go around and hijack anyone who's computer literate and say, yeah. you know... Help me find anonymous and just start killing random people. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. I don't think that. Hey, we, you know, someone was killed in Mexico, and they blamed when it was said to be for anonymous. I was be like, I, we don't know who that is. Okay, you know, that doesn't make any sense. No, no I don't think so. You don't think? No. Okay, that's interesting. Um, but so generally, you think? Do you think that anonymous are right to do this to take this this approach? Yeah, man. If it was like buddy of mine. <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, and nobody was doing anything about it. You know, it was somebody we knew and cared cared about. I'd do whatever I could, and if we could, like, you know, do something about it, yeah, why not? It's interesting. I mean, if if it goes down, I just I, I just wonder what's going to happen. I'm like I I sort of have a feeling like it could potentially escalate things. You have a te- you I, you have a very cons- sort of um, you're very uh, cautious with things like this. I know you've, a number of things we've talked about and you get very worried about the repercussions of things. Right. You, are you, do you feel that way? Are you very cautious? Well, like, I mean, you send that email, this person could be crazy. And then you like, you're very, um, I mean, <laughs> well, well, about something like this, I'm pretty cautious, I know, but I mean, I mean I was, it could start but, like, you know, cartel, um, Armageddon. I mean, basically what's going to happen is these, they're going to publish all the names of these, this, this cartel, then rival cartels are going to go and kill them. Basically, you're starting a war. <laughs> well, the cartels are always warring anyway. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I think it's going to change anything. But I'm just curious. I mean, do, I mean, aside from the whole car, that whole thing, do you I mean, am I wrong about that? Or do you feel like, are you, do you consider yourself fairly cautious? I think, I think I have empathy and, you know, I have enough empathy to, to consider the ramifications of what I'm doing. Like, how's it going to affect the world or who? No, no, I don't mean that. I mean, but with. cautious for yourself too, though. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why is that? Um, I don't have a good prepared answer right now, but I guess good. it's makes it even a better conversation. I guess it's uh, <laughs> self-preservation, not wanting to die, <laughs> wanting to keep alive. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's probably what it is. Because yeah, it was just funny. I mean, you know, I, I you know, obviously had a, I had a little bit of an issue with someone, and and uh, and uh, have had a couple of emails changed. You're like, oh, don't don't send that email. I mean, they they're you know they they're a psychopath. They're kind of like, dude. Well, no, because I I kind of like to think three steps ahead if possible. Right. So yeah. just, just to, just to make sure that everyone's safe. That's yeah. Right. I guess I just don't worry about stuff. I'm not like, I guess. Yeah, but if you don't worry about stuff, then when, when it comes and bites you in the ass, then it's, uh, yeah, not, I'm not real not risk averse, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> things, I'm not real risk averse. You know, I, I, you know, it's like whether it was, whether it's some, I guess in most aspects, I'm, I guess that'd be the case. Both, both, you know, doing startups financially, I'm not very, I'm not risk averse. So, and I wasn't risk averse, you know, f- you know, physically, right. I would do, you know, kind of crazy things, ride motorcycles, hundred miles an hour and crazy kind of, you know, bore, you know, obviously stupid things, but right. I guess it's just different personalities. So what do you got next? 
that this there's not too much to talk about on this, but it it's just an awesome link. Uh, SmashingMagazine.com have put out a blog post called "Useful Coding Workflow Tools for Web Designers and Developers," and it really is a great list of uh, of stuff. I'm actually going to just paste that to you. Um, yeah, I saw it. Oh, you saw it? Yeah. Mm, well, what did you, yeah, what did you think? Uh, I think you know, I just paged through it. It seemed like they had just a. There's so much stuff there, right? The, even yeah. stuff that, like, for, even for example, that um, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it basically you you just use basic CSS, uh, well CSS three, and it will fill in. It will like backdate all the kind of um, hash prefix ones, you know. So it, it'll deal with the Firefox incompatibilities and all that stuff. Right, yeah, and something is sim- something is similar to that. Uh, a, a similar post that I I had um, uh, set aside here was uh, badassjs.com. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, just listing all these cool things like JSBcrypt and PDF.js, and uh, I mean, just a, there's so much stuff um, coming out. I mean, I I, I subscribe to um, um, Peter Cooper's uh, JavaScript Weekly, and it's like you can't even keep up. Like every week there's a list of new libraries and new tools that come out that are look really cool and useful, but just like, well, I don't know when I'm going to have time. And it's in JavaScript, it. right? I it's mean, JavaScript, yeah. Sure. Uh, prefix, prefix free is the name of that library. So prefix free lets you use only unprefixed CSS properties everywhere. It works behind the scenes, adding the current browser's prefix to any CSS code only when it's needed. So basically you just include, include prefix free.js and let's say you did something like a border shadow or text shadow or something like that. Just use the basic um, CSS for that. Uh-huh. And then w- when the page loads, it'll put the prefix in for whatever the browser is. And that's interesting because I was doing some work for Company 52 the other day. And I had to spend um, an hour and a half going through, you know, a couple of, you know, 2,000, 3,000 lines of CSS and adding all of the prefixes for all of the different browsers so that the drop shadow would work in IE and all the different things and the gradients would work cross browser. And it's some, it was a pain. If only I found this out just a few days later, if only I'd had this, it would have just been one line of, uh, you know, JavaScript include. Well, at least you keep you, keeping you employed, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so I, um, I just installed uh, parallels today. Have you, have you ever used parallels? So you got parallels. You didn't get uh, VMware. Yeah, I, I've got Parallels as well, and I, it's, I find it real slow to start up. Really? Well, so I, I haven't uh, used it a whole lot. I mean, I got that. Which, which version of Parallels do you have? So 7 is the most recent. It just came out. Um, oh, I, I don't had, think I got that. I think I got the one before. I think it's supposed to be a little faster. But um, one thing I thought was really cool, so I installed Windows 7 um, in, a, in a VM. Um, and you, you run it, so they're like, I have, it's funny, it's like, it's not like you're switching screens. Like you look at a Windows desktop and you switch back and look at an OS 10 oh, desktop. The, the cohesion mode. The co- coherence. Coherence, so then, right. Uh, then you'll just like bring it. Like there's a Windows app running on my desktop. You know, or a bunch of Windows apps. It's really cool. 100% embedded in the Mac, right? So it just doesn't even feel like you've got Windows open. Yeah, it's just like, huh, this looks like a Windows app. That's it. You know, and then you can drag and drop, cut and paste information between mm-hmm. the two. The clipboard and stuff works, I guess. I haven't tried that yet, but that's, that's apparently what you can do. I'm on version um, 5. Yeah, so that's their two your two two versions back, I guess. Maybe, I think it's supposed to be significantly faster now. But you know, well, so you don't really. So when you're in coherence mode, I guess I don't really know how it works. I mean, I don't know if 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 you're starting the VM every time because I, I think you you you're the the VM does not is not stopped when you're not using a Windows app. 
Oh, yeah. So basically the VM's there and what you have in your left-hand nav is like the Windows Start icon and that's really the main machine. And then any new, any new things that get launched. Your left-hand nav? Oh, okay. you drag your, your dock to your run up and down your left Okay, side. do you have it at the bottom? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I don't like that. Well, yeah. <laughs> People, it's funny. We just do everything differently. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool um, that you could do that because I, I have some stuff that I want to build um, in Windows using .NET, C Sharp, and, uh, you know, obviously the only way to do this is Windows. And I, 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 just not, I just didn't think it was going to work this well. I just had this feeling that it was going to be like reboot, like it was going to be like, was it boot camp or something? You have to reboot oh, yeah, your system yeah, yeah. or something, or it was just going to be this really clunky. So I kind of hesitated because I had Parallels 5. I bought it when I bought the Mac, but I never bothered installing it. And finally, <laughs> I just said, all right, I need, I really do need Windows now. Um, and uh, just, it's amazing. It's like magic. <laughs> it's, it's really yeah, is but the only, the only one thing is, it's like, I find that the mouse, well, maybe this once again could be related to Parallel 7 versus Parallels 5. But I find that there's like this slight latency, which just irritates the hell out of me. So as I click really? the key, it just kind of feels like it's, you know, a fraction of a millisecond behind versus the Mac, which is instant. And it uh, just annoys me. Hmm. Well, I haven't used it enough, so I guess I'll, uh, I'll be able to tell you my feelings on it. And uh, so we're just starting out, start up a program now and see if it seems slow to me. But um, yeah, so that was, that's one, that's one of the things I did this morning, getting that installed. Um, so what project are you working on? Or are you not allowed to talk about it? Oh, um, well, I may have like a, I may have a trading project or two. Um, oh, naughty. Now, what, what, <laughs> at what point did you feel like you were going to get all my time? I'm not exactly sure <laughs> when you thought you were going to. Okay, is it speculative or paid work? Uh, probably, it just went, probably some of each. Oh. Probably some of each. Okay, hey, dude, enough. you're working on Plugio, so chill out. That's true. That's true. Oh, wow. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. I, hear that. I don't want to hear that anymore. <laughs> okay, so um, there was another blog post that I got called. Uh, oh, no, I'm not done yet. All right. I'm not yeah. done. So, I, anyway, one project is, a, is I may have like a, some consulting work that I can, that um, for building some trading software. But um, also, I'm, uh, I'm trying to, I may be kickstarting my uh, little collaboration with David Fogel, who we interviewed. Back like what well, I don't know was it a year ago by now. Oh, okay. I thought you'd done some work on it. With, well, yeah. I did. So D- David Fogel's an expert in uh, artificial intelligence, and he's written some books on on the subject. He's a, he's really uh, really interesting guy. So I highly recommend um, listening to our interview with him. Um, and which is, I, don't, I don't know what episode that was, but um, anyway, um, he they, they, he also does some uh, work. He has a um, like a, like a, I don't know if we would call it a hedge fund, but a, that uses uh, artificial intelligence. Yeah. Kind of like um, Kurzweil's hedge fund. You know, Ray Kurzweil. Yeah. Singularity is near. So they, ha- they have a hedge fund um, called Fat Cat um, that uses um, neural nets um, to make trading decisions. And it's been successful. And um, Dave Vogel, is, they have something similar that's been successful. They've run it for like four years or something. But uh, so we we started uh, collaborating on something uh, back this past winter. But I just had too much going on, and the data that I needed, this particular kind of data I needed, we, we just couldn't we couldn't find. It was going to be too expensive or not not easily accessible. And so I asked David. I said, "Look, you mind if I just put this on hold for a while? I just really can't." I just don't have the bandwidth for this. But um, as it turns out, because of that uh, 
recent blog post I, I, I wrote on algorithm trading, um, one of the um, relationships that struck up as a result of that um, may be a source of, or is a source of this historical data that I need. Hmm. So, and I was, so I called Nick Dave, uh, David and I said, hey, David, I'm back. I think, we, I think I got the data. I think I get the data, you know, and he's like, all right. So if we can get the data we need, um, then I could start doing some of the analysis and we can, you know, see what, you know, see what we can do together. I mean, I can't get specific on it because it's all very proprietary and everything like that. So, um, but. So does your source stand to get a kickback? Um, no, through- no, actually I just share, I had a, a ton of historical data that he didn't have access to. And I say, listen, um, you know, because first I just said, hey, by the way, if you want this, because I, th- I can't remember what we're talking about. I said, well, I have this data if you want it. And I just, you know, just uploaded just n- n- a huge number of g- gigabytes up to my um, Dropbox and just shared right. a folder with him. And I said, here you go. I mean, just take it, you know, whatever. And he's like, you know, and, and then and it was within a day or two later, we started talking and I realized, I said, wait a minute. So I, you, have the, you have access to this kind of data? And I will, you know, can we get that? And he's like, sure. So we just, I think it's just kind of like, um, and we've had a, we then we we've since talked about of collaborating on some other ideas, but I said for starters, let's just get let's just get the shared database of historical market data that's hard to access. If we together, I think we can get a really good, valuable database together, and that will allow me to, you know, uh, kickstart my um, collaboration with David Fogel, which I've felt guilty about ever since putting that on hold because I mean. You know, you don't really get a lot of opportunities to work with people like him, like right. David, right? I mean, he's a world class guy, and he's like, "Hey, yeah, I'll work with you." And you're like, "Bail!" <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like you get accepted to some PhD program working with some world class professor, and then you just like drop out after three months. It's <laughs> just kind of like I don't know. I mean, from my perspective, I needed to at the time just. Um, because of limited resources, time, money, bandwidth, that kind of stuff. But and, and just the fact that we just couldn't get access to the data. I was just like, well, I, don't, I mean, it's just getting access to the data was such a nightmare. I just was even taking up all my time and I got so frustrated with it. I'm just like, this is just going nowhere and I need to just focus on some other stuff. But I, you know, but I said, if I can, if I can use this opportunity, if I can get some data and get things kickstarted with him, at the very least, worst case, even if we didn't start collaborating him, even if I got him the data and sorry, David, I can't work on it right now, but here's all the data, I would yeah, leave on helped a, him I, out. Yeah, you've really left him in a better position. Yeah. I'd like, you know, you would never have gotten this data without me. Here it is. You know, I, cause I just, I just, I, I don't, it's been rare in my life that I've ever had to pull out of something and I quit in any way. And I had to quit on him and I just, I just hated that. I just always left a bad taste in my mouth and especially with the kind of person he is, you know? Yeah. So um, that it's all kind of in, in, in along those lines of getting data and getting the data organized. And, you know, I have to have a Windows um, program to pull in this other data that I need and, you know, whatever. So it's all involved with that. But, yeah. you know, on the, but it's also possibly um, I may have some consulting work coming down that, that uh, path as well. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm very happy with, uh, with my consulting with uh, Company 52 right now. Um, I'm getting a great rate and um, just what well, you're being make 20 bucks an hour now. Yeah. 20 an hour now. Yeah. <laughs> it's going nice. And I'm happy, oh, with, the, baby. <laughs> I'm happy with the deal. And um, we're on Wednesday. Um, we're basically going to be devoting a full day to Plugio exploration uh, of kind of brainstorming it and working out what, what the best strategies are to move forward and how to make the most of their 350,000 mailing list and, 
Um, 350,000 people on a mailing list. Yep. Not that too is amazing. Not too shabby, huh? And they're people who all use a product that's in the same sort of neighborhood as Plugio. Yeah, very similar. Very similar, but amazingly different enough that it, it's, it would make no sense for it to be Plugio. <laughs> it's not competitive. It's not yeah, it's not competitive, but it's similar. Yeah, so it's really good. It's like, yeah. That's amazing. So, okay, so if you, you guys have decided to go through with this sort of partnership, let's call it. Yeah. Is, is it now, now have you inked it yet or are you still negotiating terms? We haven't make- inked it. We're, we're pretty happy with the terms. Um, but you're going to write something down on a piece of paper, right? Yeah, we're going to write something down. Yeah. You do need to do that. Even if it's a two page, two page piece of paper. I mean, you yeah. should with like five bullet points, like this is what we agreed to. You need yeah, to do that. That's exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be very, very simple. Yeah, because this has happened to me so many times where, you know, you think you agreed to something and it wasn't what they thought you agreed to. And if you didn't write it down, you're screwed. It would actually could be almost as bad as if you have this 30 or 40 page operating agreement that is is just sort of like camouflaged in legalese. You can't really tell what you agreed to. Now, you've literally been screwed a few times, like maybe I don't know how many times, but through these situations where (laughs) you didn't have to write it down. Like, no, not write it down. Yeah, more often than not, it's written it down, and it was just um, more often than not, it was stuff was it was codified in a operating agreement, but it was just um, it was so. There's, a lot of times, what'll happen is you'll have like conflicting um, statements in different parts of it. Depend, you know, it's like trying to hard. It's, it's hard to disambiguate what exactly. How much money got. would you say? I mean, like actually hard cash. Would you say you've lost through that? Through what you thought you were owed versus? <laughs> oh God. I don't know. I mean, um, yeah. I, well, it's kind of hard to say because it's just hard to say. I, I, I don't know. I mean, probably a lot, but a lot of it might be opportunity cost, a lot, a lot of wasted time, you right. know, energy. I mean, did you know? Was there kind of situation where a bunch of money came in and it was real cut and dry what I was owed? I mean, none of it was quite that cut and dry. Even the most recent thing. Um, it was like a year ago. Are yeah. you talking about that? Yeah, I can't remember whether whether no, you said that. Now, see, here's the thing, and I, I've, I've, see, when you talk, when you, when you got to be really careful. I think about airing your dirty laundry on, in right, public. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, because it's one thing if you say, you know, I screwed up, I made these mistakes, and here's what, here's a post mortem, right? That's fine, you know, and and especially if you kind of can keep it positive and people can learn from your mistakes and it it's, it's, it's I, I think it's one of those things where you just sort of um can clear your mind a little bit you know but when you say you know so and so is screwed me over and so and so is a bad person and they did this and they should have done that i mean it's what happens is you you start a war a public war and um that is going to take up a lot of your psychological energy and in time, right? You're going to spend like, cause, cause it, you're, you're going to say these things and then they're going to sit and then they're going to fight back. You're going to get threats. You're going to get emails. They're going to write their side of the story, which could be completely false, but in the public, nobody has, nobody can really tell what's true and what's false. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like you're in a, it's like if um, you were in a, a legal case and, um, and there was no um, sort of bar for like what was uh, admissible evidence. So people just bring in anything and the, and the jury had no way of determining whether the stuff was made up or, you know, what was hearsay and, you know, it's just you don't know. And so what happens is people assume that it's somewhere in between. So you end up in a worse situation, right? Even if you were in the right and you really did nothing or very little wrong. 
they're going to say, well, it's probably somewhere in between, right? Which is something you said a number of times about just things in general. Well, the, the, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. It seems right. like a reasonable thing to say. But it, it's, just, it's just on average, maybe if you had 100 disputes, you'd say on average, if you average them out, things would lie in the middle. But in a lot of cases, they were all the way on one side or all the way on the other, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, a serial killer murder somebody. The, the truth is not in the middle. <laughs> okay, so, so in, your, in your last one, basically, you agreed to build something, right? And you built it for a percent. Not, I don't want to get too specific because people are going to start guessing, speculating, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, want to, I don't want to do that. So okay. I think it's, 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 it's fun. You don't have to cut anything out, but I just, let's just leave it at that. Let me just say this. So, but if, if, you start airing your, if you start fights and you start pointing fingers and you, you just – because you, 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 there's nothing for you to gain at this point, right? What can you gain? It's over. Right, there's nothing to gain. Well, what but could now, you have done differently? Like, how could you have how could you have made it so that 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 didn't happen? Just as a general principle, general advice, how would you stop it? Because I'm pretty sure you lost, you know, fifty between fifty and a hundred thousand from that. So what? How oh, could you? St- oh, a lot more than that. A lot more. Okay. Than that. So, so how could you stop that from happening in the future? Oh, let's see. I would say, um, hmm. see, sometimes uh, one thing I'll say this is sometimes. Even if you do everything right, you're still going to get screwed. <laughs> sometimes there's no, it's just, there's just, there's just no way around it. If, if, because sometimes you go into, you get in a business relationship with someone, and if they have just a lot more resources than you, a lot more money or power, there's not. Sometimes there's just nothing you can do about it that's rational. So it's like a honeypot. Like you're in, you're in business with some kind of honeypot, and, and what I mean by that is they'll use all of their resources to to a point where you can't, you just can't fight back. And it's just like, oh, God. All right, fair enough. Yeah, well, here's what happens is you think, oh, well, I'm going to fight this to the end, and I'm going to go thermonuclear, and I'm going to like – but the reality is after you calm down, you look at it you know, rationally, you realize, okay, so I can spend $30,000, $50,000 in legal fees. Uh, This can be – this thing will probably – you know, drag out to a year and a half, two years. And what are the chances that I'm not, I'm not only going to get that 30 or 50,000 legal fees paid back, or I'm going to get some substantial amount above it, uh, um, uh, beyond that to account for all of the negative distraction that's going to happen during that period of time, because it is incredibly draining and distracting to be in a fight. And when yeah. you're in a battle lawsuit, it's, a, it's like being in a fight. So if you ever know how like you feel when you're kind of like getting in a fight with somebody, you know, that sick feeling in your stomach and you're kind of distracted and it's like your wife's talking to you but not really listening to her because you're kind of stewing about this thing, <laughs> Yeah. Right? Well, imagine that lasting to varying degrees for like a year and a half. Oh my it's God. Have you, have you ever gone through that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So that's... Not for a year and a half. I've gone through it a few times for you know, months at a time, you know, three to six months and it sucks. And it is, it, what happens is it debilitates you because you're not nearly as productive or creative because you're distracted and you're just in this negative state of mind. And I've noticed that you, you tend to get the most done when you're, when you're positive and in a good mood and energized, you know? And so you just, you want to, sometimes when I'm real, really pissed, I mean, I can then go down and get, and do a great coding session because I'm just so angry. Well, sometimes you can do that like for short periods. Like I've noticed in periods where like I've gotten a f- gotten an, you know, like say I've had, had this is luckily this doesn't happen very often, but the few times that I've got an argument with Sandy and I'm just kind of in a real bad mood about it, it's kind of things you wake up, you're, you're upset in the morning. Yeah. And you'll just, and I'll just, in order to like hide from the fight. That's I right. Yeah. Yeah. But 
that doesn't work so much for so long because it starts to take a toll on you after a few days. You don't sleep as well. It's just bad. You just that negative. <laughs> and I know this all sounds really kind of new agey, like this negative energy, but however you want to phrase it psychologically, whatever, you want to avoid it because we are in, and when I say we like hackers, people who write code, build stuff, start companies, entrepreneurs, designers, all these people, we have incredible creative capacity to create something out of nothing. We have this idea and we can just make it real. We can just change the world. We can, and, and that's an amazing, it's a powerful thing. And, and if you spend six months or a year of your life or longer fighting with people and wasting money on, as, as opposed to just like going off and just say, screw it, I'm going to start something new and create something of value. You're probably going to end up much better off if you just take the high road and create something new. I know yeah. it, fe- it feels wrong, it feels unjust, and it is unjust, but the world's not just. And so all you can do is not give in to sort of the sunk cost fallacy, which are sunk cost cognitive bias, which are like, I already put so much into this and I got to get something out and I'm, I'm do this and I'm owed this, you know, but in the end of the day, you just got to like, what's going to make me happy? What's going to create the most value a year from now? Where am I, where am I going to be in the most, in the best standing a year from now? If I spend a year fighting with somebody who has more power and money than I, I have anyway. So I'm at a distinct disadvantage or, so I'm probably going to lose, or I'm not going to get much, but I'm going to do is waste a bunch of time or I can spend a lot of time just wash my hands of it, move on and try and create something. About I it. mean, just the basics of ripping someone off. I mean, I don't understand that. I don't, get why you would do that it just doesn't make like because you you, okay you're gonna get a lot of money out of it but at the end of the day isn't it just better to i mean i don't know i just don't have that part to me it's just weird like i'm not gonna not gonna rip someone off like that and I can't understand when someone does it to me. And, you know, it's, it's been done to me and it's been done to all of us. We've all had. Well, I'm totally planning on screwing you over. It's like, like it's, it's even happened to me recently. And, and I'm just like, what, why? Like, why? What, what are you, what are you getting out of this? You know? Like, well, I said, my father-in-law told me this one, uh, this little saying, which is funny. He's like, there's three types of people in business. There's the guy who says, He's going to screw you. He says, I'm going to screw you in this deal. And he screws you. The guy who says, I'm, who tells you he's not going to screw you, but has every intention of screwing you. And of course, then screws you. And then the guy who says he's not going to screw you, but because of mitigating circumstances, ends up screwing you. So is that, is that me? Am I, the, am I number three? I don't know. I have no, you know, I just, I mean, obviously that's a very cynical thing to say and I, it's not really true, but you just, I don't know, well, man. Do you I'm, always have to be screwed in business? I mean, is it possible it, no. Is it possible to be an actually genuinely nice person and become very, very successful businessman? I, I think, I think, yeah, I think there are people who who are um, who do things and are and are kind of nasty business people. They're kind of ruthless and they they kind of do things that are borderline. They're not illegal, but they're unethical. They're at the very least, they're mean, <laughs> you know. But there are plenty of people who succeed just being very nice people and. Um, you know, and sometimes they get taken advantage of in slight ways, but usually if they're smart, they're like, okay, so you got me, but we're not going to do business again. No, but there's a cutthroat aspect. I mean, so for example, you'd, you'd look at Bill Gates and you say, okay, probably, you know, at a dinner party, he'd be a nice person to talk to. And he's probably just generally nice. He wouldn't kill someone. By the same token, in business and business practice, they do, and he has done incredibly ruthless things. Yeah. So yeah. 
So would you class him as a, a nice guy? I mean, I, I'm talking about like a really nice person. <laughs> you could not, well, no, he's not. I mean, you would not. I mean, he's okay. His net impact on the world will end up being very positive, but he certainly screwed over a lot of people in the 80s and 90s. I mean, there's a number. There's just a, just a, a sort of a runway of wreckage of companies that just got just demolished and screwed over unfairly and even illegally. Um, I mean, is, is there even any, like, for example, Steve Jobs, when you, when you hear the stories about him, like, he sounds like a pretty ruthless person, you know? Yeah. I mean, is there anyone um, who's very successful at that level who, who there's just fantastic stories about? Oh, what a nice guy. I guess maybe Kevin Rose. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of people like that, but um, you know I think uh, Paul Graham is generally considered to be a really nice guy. You know I think I think uh, uh, what's his uh, wife's name? I think I forget her name. The blonde lady. I think she's basically <laughs> described as the nicest woman to watch the face of the earth or something. She's just <laughs> it's really sweet. She kind of runs Wine Combinator. She's kind of the operations person. But I, you know, but anyway, yeah, there are plenty of people who are good people who aren't going to screw you over. I mean, look, you know, the, the, the investor in my, uh, in Prezo, um, Fez, Fez Kayim is a friend of mine and uh, put a bunch of money in. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's, he, that, one of the reasons that I wanted to give him, um, you know, a, sh- you know, some share of my next venture, even though he wasn't putting money into it was that I felt he treated, he was such a good partner, such a good investor. He, 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 extended so much trust to me that I just felt like, you know, I got, I got to make him some return on his investment. Yeah. And so, but and so he was like that, you know, he's just a fantastic guy. He doesn't have a big ego. He's one of those guys who was incredibly successful, made a lot of money, but then he's also kind of take, he's like, look, you know, it was also timing. You know, he looks back and says, you know, I, I you know, I, I made some smart decisions. I did some good stuff, but you know, you can't take luck out of the equation. And yeah. so he, so when people, realize that then they don't have these huge egos and a lot of times it's problems when they get when people get these huge egos and they think the reason i'm successful is because i'm just so special i'm so smart i'm just so great <laughs> then those are the people who become kind of assholes you know it's the people who are like you know what yeah you know i got some strengths i can do some things but you know i worked with some good people i got a little lucky timing everything worked out those people are the kind of people to work with because they don't their ego is because ego is usually what causes a lot of these problems did you read the blog post, um, You Are the Average of Your Five Closest Friends? You know, I haven't. I heard someone mention it, but that's a really interesting idea. So let's let me hear well, about it. Well, I mean, so it, there's the idea from the title, but actually, I, I mean, I guess the way that it plays out is that. But what, what they're talking about is there's a girl and they're, they're, they've kind of calling her Jane. That's not her real name. Mm-hmm. But basically, they're saying that she started off um, just in uh, business administration. But all, she was real friends with a lot of coders and they were just constantly pushing her to think about tech and to go into tech. And so where she was, was at a stage where she, you know, she couldn't really get a job. She couldn't do too much. Um, but by the time she'd finished working with these guys and taking on all, the, all their advice, she was working in a very high tech company, uh, coding every day and making a lot of difference to the world. Right. And so they're saying that she basically, through osmosis, took on a lot from her five friends. That's kind of interesting. Well, they, I, I've heard, you hear different sayings like that. Like you can tell a lot about a person by the company they keep. Yeah. Birds of a feather flock together. Water seeks its own level, that kind of stuff. And I think that's true, you know, um, that it's sort of indicative of the kind of person. So if someone's hanging out with a bunch of shady people, you can break a pretty good guess. <laughs> yeah, so that probably well, kind of shady, you know. Well, they say here, uh, basically the end of the post, bottom line, if the main topic of, 
If the main topic of conversation you have with your friends is not how you can better yourself, then you need to get new friends. Yeah, I guess you'd have to uh, be pretty general on how to improve yourself because you know I, it can't be just about like uh, yeah okay okay sure I'll get in the general I guess I would agree with that but yeah I, I, but I would say that 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 probably is a pretty good estimation of who your closest friends are you know your five closest friends it's kind of yeah. like what's kind of funny there's there's sort of like a um a uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning technique called K nearest neighbor. So like your best estimate, you know, so like, let's say that we had, um, a hundred, um, well, okay. I won't get any details of it, but essentially you're averaging the, the yeah. attributes of the, of, of a neighborhood of objects or neighborhood of, uh, you know, so, so your five closest objects, you could even do your 10, you know, your 10 closest, but it's just an average, right? You know, maybe it's a weighted average, your five closest or, or count more than the, the next five. I wonder, would, would each of those other people be the average of theirs? So everyone in your network is the average of everyone else. Yeah, something like that. Uh, um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Chain your neighbor is what it's called. Look it up. <laughs> so, so during the last episode, um, we, we, did, we did the interview um, with Joanna, was it? Yeah, As, yeah. And one thing I want to say about that, people yeah. really like that. They did. They loved that show. Well, because she had a lot of spirit, right? She was a great girl, and, and we were we were very um, we got on well with her. Yeah, yeah. So, what were we going to say about it? Uh, so, sh- there was this one thing you said. You know, the thing I'll I'll always remember is man with a goatee ordered goat cheese from Medici, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, I, I I remember hearing about that that way of of try- of remembering things. A visualization. T- yeah, visualization. A long time ago, and about fifteen years ago, I met this guy, right? And I, I just learned this technique and I just casually met him in a bar or something. And his name was Norman. Mm-hmm. So in, in the UK, we have, in, well, and in Ireland as well, we have this, this brand of soup called Nor. So I thought to myself, I've got to, I've got to remember this guy. I've got, I've got to remember his name. So I'm going to think, okay, soup, Nor, right? And, and the thing about the Nor soup is there's the, the variety pea and ham that I remember that it's really nice. Right. So I remembered, I just, I, I logged that, that guy. Nor soup, nor pea and ham soup. So I remembered that, right? And I met him about a month later. And I was like, oh, I know this guy. I know this guy. It's, it's, it's a man. And, um, and I know that it was that pea and ham soup. It was the pea and ham soup. So I was like, ham, pig, pig. Hey, pigman, how are you? Pigman. <laughs> so, what did he say? Uh, he just said, uh, my name's Norman. <laughs> pig man. I'm like, oh yeah, no, that was it, no. <laughs> he kind of went off the rails there a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My uh, my episode, the one time I remember using that really well was in I was in high school, it was tenth grade chemistry, and you're trying, and we were, um, you know, we were supposed to memorize the uh, per- periodic periodic table of elements. Yeah, and one of the ones that didn't the 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 two letters didn't match the name was antimony the element antimony and it was sb like how the hell are you going to remember that right right and so i said okay and i remember at the time this is like in 1986 87 yeah. and i remember watching the show moonlighting with bruce willis oh i love that show yeah and sybil shepherd Civil that was the, that S- was basically where bruce willis came from yeah go on yeah you're right that was his big breakout you know uh I don't know, show or whatever. So I, I said SB, Sybil, Shep. When I saw SB, I just thought of Sybil, 
right? Yeah. So I said, okay, so and they always said, make up a story. So Civil Shepherd and Bruce Willis, you know, they get married, but, you know, they have such a crazy relationship. They end up having a divorce, and Bruce Willis has to pay antimony. Alimony. <laughs> <laughs> Did it work? Well, it's let's see, 2011, and I still remember it. So yeah, I mean, it's the dumbest, most nonsensical story, but it made it it worked. You know, well, no, another thing I heard is that basically to use locations in your memory. So, for example, you go for a, uh, an example is let's say you lived near Buckingham Palace in London, mm-hmm. right? And you regularly every morning took a walk around Buckingham Palace. And you wanted to remember all the cards in a deck, you know, the, the order that the cards came in. You could, in your mind, take a walk and on the, on the first part, you know, that tree that you're familiar with, there goes the Jack of Spades. And then the next tree that you're familiar with or some outbuilding or something like that. So you put the cards on each building and you associate them that way by taking a visual walk in your mind. Well, there was some, you know, there was a story, I guess this guy who was a writer for the New York Times was covering like this memory competition. Yeah. And... I, I think he wrote an article. It might have written a book called like Mind Gamers or something. Or oh, yeah. and and um, and there was something about the way you would remember. Like you'd create this castle or house, and every room was a different piece of information you're trying to remember. Hmm. Something like that. Like you would go with like you're walking through the ca- this giant you know castle, and you would look in this room and like this room, and that's where this image would be of this information you're trying to remember. Right. So you just walk through the house. Hmm. And now <laughs> it was one of these articles that was like. 10 pages I printed out and sat on my side of my bed and I have yet to read it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> four months old by now. But it was, I remember that what was interesting about the story was that this memory competition, was, the, 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 the guy who wrote this article, so initially he went to cover this, this competition and interview some of these sort of like these genius or these memory specialists. These people had these amazing memories. And I guess he got mentored by one of them and he said, you know what, I'm going to see if I could compete at this. Yeah. You know, and so he, he learned some of the tricks and started working on it. He ended up like the next year, I think, winning it. No way. Won the whole thing. And he, he wrote a book on it, and I think it did pretty well in the New York Times. So it was something like Mind Gamers or something. I'll, I'll, I'll try and remember to put a link on the, in the description. There was a, um, an article, I don't have the, the link or the name of it, but it was about this woman who, who basically remembered absolutely everything that ever happened. Yeah. Sequentially. And she's like the only recorded. So it's different to photographic memory where you can kind of remember things that you see. Like she literally could play back like a video, everything. You could give her a date and a time and she could play back. And she said it was the most horrific condition to have. Yeah. So actually, I know about this. Um, so here's the story. So this woman, um, I think she lives down in, uh, in either Irvine, Orange County, somewhere, or San Diego. Yeah. And this professor of neuroscience at UC Irvine, I'm pretty sure, is, 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 the, is the place. He, he decided he was going to do so. He's, he's, he did a lot of studying. Um, a lot of uh, his specialty was human memory. So he went and met with her and started interviewing and talking to her. And what do you do? Because you hear this thing called photographic memory, but it turns out nobody really has photographic memory or what people think photographic memory would mean. Right. And, but he was getting all some information. This one really had this unbelievable memory. So we went down and interviewed her and turns out she could remember her entire life in, in very vivid de- detail, could remember the weather, what happened in the news that day, everything. Mm-hmm. But if you gave her a book to read or a page, like read this and memorize and then tell me what happened, she couldn't do that. So the reason it works is that she has a sort of obsessive compulsive 
um, behavior that she would every day, she's con- repeatedly obsessing about the past. She's just replaying the day, what she wore, where she went, what she did at work, what people said to her, what happened in the news. And she just goes through all, she keeps going back and back and back through her days all the time. And that, that reinforces the connections. Like the more you think about something, the more it reinforces the connections and you can remember it. So like if something happens and you don't really think about it much, you know, after a certain period of time, it just disappears and you can't remember it. If you think about it every once in a while, you might be able to remember it. But if you constantly think about it, you're always going to remember it. And um, so that was a story with her. And it turns out there was – I watched a thing on 60 Minutes probably six, six months ago, and they got about a half dozen people just like her. Hmm. And one of the people who were like her because – Oh, who was it? I think Leslie Stahl, who was one of the um, the reporter on 60 Minutes who did this piece, she knew a friend. She had a friend. She's like, I know someone just like that who um, who has that same ability. And I'm trying to remember that. You know the girl from Taxi who had the red hair? Do you remember her? Uh, no, I don't. Know. I'm blanking on her name. Uh, it was um, oh Mary Lou Henner. Yeah, right? Mary Lou Henner. So. She and so they had all six of them together, and they were just asking them questions, and they were having like a like everybody know what happened, nineteen eighty three, what day of the week was it? What everybody knew everything. They all six of them could do it, and they were all it was hilarious. Like all of them thought they were the only person like this, <laughs> and they were all just having the best time because they were all talking about the pluses and minuses. And both all of them like it. I mean, they all like this really cool. Like they can remember all this stuff. They just think it's ridiculous that nobody can remember these things. Did you see, um, once again, I don't know the name of it, but, but um, scientists recently created a computer that was basically fully biological using, bio- using neurons. Yeah, and, the organic uh, computer, the, you know, the, the molecular computer, right? What, what I thought was interesting was in the article, they spoke about how a, a human neuron basically can fire 100 times a second. But, but that's incredible. That's so freaking slow <laughs> compared yeah. to, you know, compared to um, silicon, right? It's right. amazing that basically somehow the brain configuration is configured in such a way that a neuron can fire that slow but still be incredibly, you know, powerful. I don't know. Yeah, that's well, you know, it's like yeah, it's massive parallelism. Parallelism. I think it's something like we have like a hundred million neurons or something like that, and each neuron yeah. has like ten thousand synapses, right, or connections to other neurons. And even if it only fires a hundred times a second, it's the parallelism that creates the power. Um, I mean, there's other things about the structure of the brain and its adaptability and stuff. But yeah, it was really interesting. Well, you know, they've been talking about like the molecular computer. It's like the, it's like the quantum, the two things we keep hearing about, you know, yeah. near about for the last 15, 20 years is like the molecular, molecular computer and the quantum computer and using qubits and stuff for the quantum and using molecules. And so this is kind of neat. Yeah, it's fun seeing this stuff kind of come to fruition to some degree. I mean, it's like these things that are like, you know, they might have niche applications for it. I mean, I don't know. What's the longevity of that? Because it's Life's- biological, right? So it could, it, you know, it's s- silicon, you've got some degree of stability. But if it's completely biological, it could just break down, you know, like it could, you know, cells could die. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess at some point, I mean, they're working a lot on actually being able to keep cells alive forever. And they've been working on stuff like that with um, cancer treatments, like they can get cells to kill themselves, commit suicide. <laughs> That's one of the cancer, one of these sort of um, approaches, yeah. strategies. And then it's keeping, keeping the cells alive forever. Like, I think it was called like tel- telomerase or telomerase or something, which is like this stuff that, that, that sort of dissolves the ends of the, like the DNA strands or something. If they can stop that from happening, then, then cells can become immortal. So maybe in you know, another 20, 30, 50 years, I'll have that figured out, in which case 
that won't be an issue. But I don't know. Maybe maybe the cells. Maybe if the cells just are reproducing and they can encode the same information, and and it's the spawned uh, cells that makes a difference, right? It's sort of like. You know, yeah. even your brain. I mean, because, you know, your cells continually die. It's like, you know, the same cells you had five years ago or even, you know, five months ago, probably, right? I mean, it's like you're, you're, the cells are dying and new ones are being replaced all the time. Even in our own brain. Yeah, I think our whole body. I think so, pretty so sure. basically, <laughs> we're saying memories that I have from memories that I have from when I was a child are stored in completely new cells that didn't exist when I was a child. Pretty sure about that. Now, there may be a biologist listening to me who can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but, or even a non-biologist who knows their biology better than I do, but I'm pretty sure that our cells are constantly being, you know, sort of regenerated. Well, that's incredible because it's, it wasn't me. It was someone else then. Like that, <laughs> that memory isn't even me. Well, that's, that's uh, you know, I guess that's how life is, right? You could say, I'm a new person, you know, every day. <laughs> I've never that understood that because they say... Things it wasn't me. I'm all new cells. They, they say that like once every six months, every cell in your body changes, right? Well, if that's true, I mean, you see these kids who just live off like Coke and and M and M's, like so their entire body is made out of Coke and M and M's. I mean, is that really true? <laughs> I don't think it's quite <laughs> works that way. I don't. I don't know. Let's, well, let's, they, they must have. I mean, look, if you have to, if you change your entire, if you change every cell in your body every six months, the only thing you live off is Coke and M and M's. That's all you've had to synthesize for the new creation of cells. So. Well, I don't think anyone's living off only Coke and M&Ms. I mean, they might not be eating a very good diet, but I, don't, I think you probably get ill after a while. I guess. What's that movie about the guy who ate um, Super Size Me? Oh, yeah. McDonald's, like first. Yeah, I, I, I always wonder about that. I mean, that was a crazy movie, the guy at McDonald's, and he just got sicker and sicker and sicker. But then I heard that that, that may not be the most believable documentary in the world that there might have been. Who knows? So, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Let's not I get into the whole health debate. Yeah, I would need. I would eat McDonald's every day for three months. That would be. That would be bad. Um, did, I don't know if we talked about this. Did you ever see the thing about the Dan Plan? Uh, I've heard of it. The Tell guy me. plays. He's, he decided that he was going to play golf. He was going to become. He he he. He. We want to oh, become. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Professional golfer. We haven't talked about that on the show, have we? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I just I thought it was worth talking about because it's 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 pretty pretty interesting idea. So this guy, I guess he, I think he's like a photographer. It's, I think that's his profession, and he's kind of a flexible schedule. And um, he just I don't know. I think he's like he's in a thir- his thirties, early thirties, mid thirties or something. And he decided like I want to see if I can do the, prove the ten thousand hour rule essentially. Malcolm Gladwell's outliers. Yeah concept of was not really his concept but it's a concept he popularized through the outliers and so he's all right well i'm gonna put this to the test i'm going to put ten thousand hours into golf to see if i can become a professional golfer world-class golfer right Uh and so you go to the dan plan i think is or just look it up on google and and yeah and he's been doing it for like I think it's been like 2,000 hours now or something and it's been like a year or so and he he has this um this professional or this um, professional, yeah, professional golf coach who's working with him mm-hmm. specifically through this whole thing. I think for free because I don't think he could afford it otherwise. But I think the guy's getting kind of some promotion out of it just by the, the the people paying attention to this project. And he's already getting pretty good. But what he did, he said, "What we're going to do is we're going to start to the hole and we're just start. You're going to learn to punt a foot from the hole, right? 
Because yeah. a lot of times people start and they start hitting on the, go- on, the, on the driving range. They start hitting clubs and they just, they're kind of bad at everything. And, but he said, right, we're going to get, we're not going to move away for a hole until you're great at that. And then it's three feet, two feet and three feet and five. And then they get, then it's, we're not going to leave the green until they start working on chipping until you're a great putter that you've mastered. And, and then, because then he only had a putter, and then he, then he then he got into he could do sand. He was being really good at chipping and and and, and hitting out of sand traps, and, and then he got a nine iron, and then he's slowly moving back. I think he's maybe like the seven iron or eight iron now, but that's it. Like you, until you've mastered your eight nine iron sand wedge and chip putter, there's no point because you know as they say, uh, in keep golf, it focused. Well, in in golf, the saying gets drive for show and putt for dough. <laughs> Right. You know, you, you hit this long drive and I was like, Ooh, wow, you know, look at that long hit. But really where the real strokes are lost and made up are, are, are close to the hole. And um, I, he's already hit like something in the 80s, which, you know, and uh, for golf score is pretty darn good for someone who's only been playing for like a year or two. Wow. But it's interesting to follow that along. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at, um, so it's thedanplan.com and they have um, a Vimeo video there and they do weekly episodes every tuesday and each oh, episode is around five minutes yeah i'm gonna keep up with that i mean yeah it's good i like it yeah i love falling along with stuff like that I, that's great the dan plan I mean, he seems like a, a pretty likable guy you know well, it was funny because the um the, prof- the 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 golf pro was sort of offended with that concept at first because he's like you know like you're gonna learn how to play be a professional golfer in like five years or something that's just so offensive i spent my whole life doing anything you know but he's like all right well screw it i'll let's do it we'll try and he gave it a try anyway well the the pro said all right work with you you know and yeah. they're doing it so i don't know i mean it'd be it's, it's, it's just be interesting to tell i mean but golf is one of those things where you don't have to have any special physical attributes you know ten thousand hours is not going to make somebody into an olympic sprinter mm-hmm. it's just not you know there's certain things that some people just never ever be able to do it's just just too much genetic about it but yeah. there's certain things like golf that you know assuming that you're reasonably coordinated as long as you're not uncoordinated you know maybe you're in the top you know 20 percent of people of, co- of people with coordination you're, you're you can do it but you know you have to pick you have to be careful what you pick a lot i people- don't understand how tiger woods who basically was absolutely perfect because golf is something that you can play, you know, pretty late in your years, right? So mm-hmm. Tiger Woods is basically perfect, but then somehow he just, was it just a mental reason that he stopped being successful? I mean... <laughs> yeah, well, I still remember, uh, I was at the gym, this is like, I don't know, six months or a year. This is not too long after his Tiger Woods started to come back after the whole debacle where he got caught cheating with all these women and the divorce yeah. and everything. And this friend of mine, we're, we were sitting there talking. He's like, yeah, so do you think Tiger is going to come back? And I was like, no. I said, I think it's going to be just like Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was an absolute dominant boxer. I mean, people would get knocked out in like 30 seconds, a minute. Yeah. There was yeah. a point in like the early 90s. I remember and it was like a string of string of bouts. So these guys coming in, they were just these, these huge, just really intimidating looking top-notch boxers and they would last like 93 seconds and they were knocked out and so you're like how could anyone this guy's crazy well then after his um his uh, mentor died and he and he gave up his trainer and he kind of fell under the the sort of influence of some of his friends and a lot of hangers on and and don king and then he just lost all self-discipline and then he had he got married to robin givens and they had this really nasty divorce and he mentally psychologically fell apart and then he just and then he went to prison and then he never recovered never and he was still young enough and he was still had the same dominant he had the same dominant athletic ability but he was mentally 
just not there anymore. And I think the same thing, golf is such a mental game. It's so much about just being even keel and having the right perspective. And then if you don't, you're just going to self-destruct. And I think... I think after what he did and being caught, losing his family and his wife and all that, I just don't think, I think he's lost his psychological head. I, I think he's just lost it. He'll never get it back. Wow. That's crazy. That's my it's, opinion. It's, we'll see. I can be proven wrong. So I'm on, I'm on tape here. <laughs> so maybe. So, um, I got something, um, you know, the, um, you, in talking about the whole lock surface area, stuff this isn't really like surface area but this is just kind of interesting um you know when i read the, the post i wrote about the algorithmic trading one of the and then the meta post i wrote about that well the meta post led me to kind of um get in touch uh had a guy got in touch with me as a result of that guy uh named dimitri spanos and he's a professor of uh control theory and dynamical systems at usc and he was a phd out of caltech and he happens to live like a block a couple blocks away from me so now we grab lunch every week hmm. And I still can't get over that fact in some ways that that just a, just a, just a blog post. Right. And now we like, we're lunch buddies. Like every <laughs> week we're talking and like, it was cool. Like we're all having, you know, Mediterranean food. I'm sitting with my, with my eating my pita and hummus sitting outside the cafe and we're talking about hidden Markov models and Kalman filters and Bayesian classifiers and, and, and confidential data sets and his idea for startups. I mean, it's like, that's so cool. Right. Like now I have this guy who's, Really nice guy, and a, you know an expert, world expert in this stuff. And I'm just grabbing lunch with him. How, I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, very cool. Very. And cool. then, and then as another of it, there's a um, a uh, a guy named um, uh, Marcel who's a uh, he's a a physicist who ran a prop, a prop trading desk down in um, for a bank in Brazil, and he's he's um, working on some different automated trading strategies, and he's been in touch with me back and forth, and we've been kind of sending emails back and forth, and and there's this other guy who's um, really interesting who I might have a meet. So it's like it's, it's like it's funny these these having writing stuff on the web and then just following up on these relationships and talking with people, like you get to meet all of these extraordinary people. Fantastic. You know, and then uh, this other guy, like uh, uh, Alfie, who I, I'm sure Alfie will be listening to this podcast, but he's a he's a software developer, lives down in um in uh, Australia, and has been interested in the trading stuff. So we would trade emails and stuff. I just I just sometimes I just can't get over it. So you see, like some people are like, oh yeah, well no big deal, right? You just email people, we write blog posts. But it still strikes me that you can just strike a that it's just amazes me that you can strike up these kind of friendships. Well, that's how how we met, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I was. You, you were on. Um, you were on Jason Calacanis Twist, and uh, I I saw you saw the interview and looked at your website, Parizo. Saw you lived down the road from me and uh, sent you an email. Yeah, so it's the same thing Pat Maddox did to me when I wrote my bootstrapping with kids, and Pat and I have become good friends. Um, it's the same thing that uh, you know Marcel sent me an email. It's the same thing that Alfie sent me an email, and Dimitri sent me an email. So everybody has contacted me. And who, who I've since become friends with is as a result of writing something. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I know I've talked about this before, but it's just sometimes it just strikes me. I'm like, because this because this one guy that I just got met through Marcel, um, who's based up in um, San Francisco. It's like I might have a chance to like meet up, grab dinner with him, you know. And I've read his blog before. I wanted to talk to him before. This guy's really <laughs> interesting guy. But um, now I now I'll probably go up and probably hang out at some point. 
Because I'm going to go. It looks like I'm probably going to head up to San Francisco next week. I'm going to work with um, Uber, Curtis. Now that now that Uber is is really growing and everything is 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 rock, pretty rock solid with the dispatching system. Yeah. That, that he and I built together. But now we had to build things in such a way that they were backwards compatible with all that kind of with the original MySQL stuff. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't the problem. Was with MySQL. wasn't The problem wasn't with PHP. It was done with PHP and, My, and MySQL. The problem was is that it was an early system, so it, it was evolved and changed by different people, and yeah. the problem grew. And it's just like it was a prototype that just kept getting extended and patched, right? Because if you once you have this thing up and you have drivers, you know, you really can't take it down. <laughs> so at some point, I don't want to point fingers at anyone. So people were in bad code, but it was just in the end, it turned into a giant pile of mud, a big mud ball. And yeah. we had disentangle. We ended up just rewriting a new system, which I know people always argue about. That I think Joel Spolsky calls it the second system syndrome, which is Netscape fell victim to. They they folded after Netscape four. They tried to rewrite it from scratch because everybody so the, the 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 code base was such a you know disaster. But they never mm-hmm. ever released it, and that killed the company. So it's always risky to write a system scratch. What we did, but what we had to do was we had to write it in such a way that was backwards compatible, at least in terms of protocols. But a lot of the stuff doesn't make sense once you really understand the system. So I'm going to go up there next week and I guess we're going to do a lot of whiteboarding and like, okay, what, now that we can do this any way we want, how do we do it? Yeah. Okay. So, so it's pretty similar to what we were doing the other day, just working out the interfaces between the scheduler and the, the back end of any foo. You're going to be doing that. It's all going to be the interfaces, really, yeah? The different yeah, uh, data yeah, exchange. Yeah. Well, well, first we'll talk about the protocol. And once we figure, because I think Curtis has had some ideas about how he thinks the protocol should be improved. And, um, and then we're going to, um, based on that, you know, change the, uh, the dispatch server itself, how it works. But what I just worked on, I was interesting this week was, because we wrote something called, we, Curtis and I wrote something, uh, I don't know, six months back called um, Slave Master, which was a way that you could have like multiple um, dispatch servers running. And I remember you telling us about this, yeah. Yes, they're all alive and they're all pinging each other every second. And if one of them goes down, the other one can become the new master and can and can sort of elect itself and can pull can can reinstantiate itself, you know, by doing a pull from Mongo in you know under a second or whatever. It's fully instantiated, so you may have like a, a one second hiccup. And but. Curtis had run into a problem because of some kind of the, the network got screwed up and they had some that two nodes the, we had master and three slaves instead of having a master and three slaves two of the ma- two of the slaves thought they were ma- or one of the slaves thought it was the master as well so you had a yeah. fight both thought they were the master and there was no <laughs> way to figure it out so I, I wrote uh, you know Gavin worked on it with me a little bit and we we you know it was just a really simple thing but now it's completely like. The, you know, they whoever has the lowest ID becomes the master. If two people think a master, it's like, okay, you're the older brother, you're the boss. So, so that was the, <laughs> that was the thing. It's like, okay, if mom goes, who's in charge? Well, the oldest sibling is. And if like, you know, you just if you have more, everybody wants to be the boss, but we do it by whoever's the oldest. So I got um I got a few things. I was watching um startup school, um you know the Y Combinator startup school. Oh no, tell us about that. Well, I, I only saw like three of the talks. Ashton Kutcher. Um, did one. He's told a great story. I mean, I, I would go back and watch. I'm sure they'll have them. It was on Justin TV, so I'm, I'm sure they'll have the videos up for, you know, viewing anytime. But yeah. his was a good story. You know, because Ashton Kutcher actually invests. He's an angel investor. He's invested in a lot of stuff, I think. Well, because yeah. he got in trouble because he does invest in a lot of stuff. And um, on his laptop in Two and a Half Men, he had stickers of all of his startups. 
<laughs> so he was advertising his startups. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it was like completely against his contract. So they had like harsh words with him and they're like, look, you can't bring your laptop advertising That's... your startups on the show. That is funny. Yeah. Well, he, I think he's a, he's a smarter guy than people give credit, give him credit for. I mean, I think that happens a lot of times. You think, you think anybody who's an actor is an idiot or something, but they're not, you know, some of them, some of them are just like some Vinny type of person is an idiot, but he seems like he's a pretty thoughtful guy. He seems like a, you know, he seems like he wouldn't be a bad angel investor. I mean, right. if he was investing your company, he wouldn't be some knucklehead. He'd be like, oh God, you know, I got to have this meeting with this guy. He just had, I just wanted his money and now I got to listen to his silly ideas. He seemed like a smart guy. Yeah. And um, actually my good, uh, one of my good friends who's a stunt coordinator worked with, worked with him for a while. Uh, I can't remember what movie it was, but he said he was a nice guy anyway, as a, as an aside. So, but um, what was it? The, uh, he had one really interesting piece of advice, which is that he has a lot of entrepreneurs would come in and say like, and essentially they're saying, I want to be the next Steve Jobs. I want to be the next Mark Pincus or, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. And he's like, why would you want to be the next Mark Zuckerberg? Because at best you're going to be the, the second best Mark Zuckerberg because you're never going to be a better Mark Zuckerberg than Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Right? It's like, just be what you, you know, do the best thing that you can do. Don't try and emulate these other people. And, uh, <laughs> that was kind of a funny, funny thing to say. So that was a good one. Another one was um, Ron Conway. You know, mm-hmm. Ron Conway is kind of like the, he's like the most, I think he's, he's vest. I don't know how many, it's like 500 startups or something he's invested in some huge number. Hmm. It's, it's, it's definitely the spray and pray approach to angel investing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but one thing he said, which I thought you would really appreciate, which was that, he said, you know, people say, well, when should I get investment? That was the question. When should I go and range, raise money? And he's like, wait as long as you can. Get as much done as you can. And if you're really lucky, the best company of all is the kind that doesn't even need investment. If you can bootstrap, that's the best way to do it. Yep. Then you don't have any investors telling you what to do. And you're, you know, you're making money. Your, your, model, your, mark, your model has proved, been proved out by the customers, you know? There's no... Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting because it, coming from someone who's a professional investor, right? He's yeah. saying, look, if you're really awesome, you don't even need me. The best company would not need me or anyone like me. And I mean, they're the ones that I really want to invest in. Yeah, right, right. Well, it's exactly right. It's like, you know, it's like, it, that always happens, right? It's, it's like the girl, you know, everyone wants the girl they can't get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the world that likes them was the one that, you know, like, I don't know. Like, dude, she's twice as hot as the other ones. Like, I don't know. This other girl, you know. I can't what do you think have- about um about Dropbox? Just the way that it's kind of moving towards this, you know, many many billion dollar valuation. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, Drew Drew Houston, who's the CEO, he he gave a talk too. So um that was pretty good. I mean, um, so what do I think about Dropbox? I use it. I like it. I yeah. like it. Um, do I think? I mean, it sounds like they're making money. Yeah. Um, I always thought it was very clever how they hid, they did the reciprocal um, referral system. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I invite, if you don't have, if you didn't have Dropbox, and I invited you to Dropbox, I would get either a discount or free. Oh, you get uh, a significant. You I, get like gigs worth of free data. Yeah, like free. I mean, it's, I, think, I don't know if it's gigs, but I think it was two hundred fifty megabytes or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, but and I think they also had a referral thing. So if you're pay, if you're doing the premium. And so you both get a discount, which works really well because if I send you an invite and I'm going to get the discount and you're not, you're like, well, 
you know, why do I care, right? You're just yeah. doing this to get a discount. But if it's like, hey, both of us will get the discount, then it's um, it's good. So I don't know. I mean, I, I it's not like I've I've looked at their balance sheet, how much money they're making. I haven't really followed them, but um, I, I like the product a lot. I think it's great. So um, that if that's a good indication, it's interesting that it's like this billion dollar valuation company and Groupon is and. But all, then you've got, like, on the other side of the table, you've got Netflix that's essentially kind of going downhill. Like, so they, they were the darlings of, of, of the, the potential kind of IPO. But now it's not going so great for them. Well, the world changes. Markets change. evolves. You know, it's always, I mean, Microsoft was the dominant. You know, IBM was dominant, and then Microsoft became dominant. I mean, it just comes in waves. But people love Netflix. I mean, like, Microsoft, people always were, just didn't like them, and they were the dominant. Whereas people just really love Netflix. I mean, they had such great brand um, uh, loyalty, and and then they and then they just did some really strange things, you know, like basically splitting it up and doing double pricing and putting their fees up. It's amazing. Well, yeah. So they lost some people because of that quick the whole Quickster debacle. Like we're going to split into companies, and no, we're not going to split. But, we're going to raise. But they're caught prices. between a, uh, like a rock and a hard place because the people who they're licensing the content from are now saying, "Look, okay." We, that's just, the real problem. Yeah. That's the real problem. The Quickster thing is a short-term blip. That's a short-term just sort of PR debacle that you get over. But, um, you know, because I don't think – because there's someone like me. I mean, I don't really care one way or the other. I love the Netflix streaming service. So, oh, we're going to charge you $7 a month. Oh, my more. Oh, my God. That's terrible. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's people whining about. I mean, you can get any movie and you get online and you're going to start – But you won't be able to get any movie because – because content providers, uh, like various com- content providers, are backing out of Netflix, and they're basically, re- re- you know, demanding more money than they can afford. So all of a sudden, there's going to be massive amounts of content that aren't going to be available through Netflix. Well, I'm talking about the the the, the but the whining stuff was about that wasn't what it was about. It was about the pings, the you know the the. the more for the same service. Yeah. Um, yeah, that always happens. You start raising your prices, people get upset. But, you know, so they lose some customers. I, I think the, the stock tanking is an, or I, I, I would see that as a buying opportunity. <laughs> if, I, yeah. if I was investing in stock, I would buy um, Netflix, uh, you know, uh, because I, I think that they're overall a great service. And they're going to have a battle ahead of them with the content providers because, yeah, I mean, you know, the, 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 a lot of these companies that own these studios are also have, other interests in like the cable companies and they out of time Warner, right. Time Warner cable and time Warner does the, you know, the, there's a lot of movie production stuff and I don't know, they don't want to be commoditized, but it's also like HBO, for example, HBO, that's got fantastic content, right. They, mm-hmm. they are not licensing. I mean, they just created their own portal. They've created their own iPhone and iPad app and mm-hmm. you can just get HBO with its own app and that's it. So, is that what's going to happen? All of these content providers are going to splinter off and create their own ecosystem. Probably. I mean, they're going to try. I mean, because nobody, everybody wants to have as much control over their content as possible because they want to, they want to um, squeeze every dollar out of it that they can. Right. So as soon as you commoditize everyone below you, then you're in the driver's seat and they don't want to be, well, we're, we're just somebody who provides stuff to Netflix and Netflix can drive our prices down. You know, because then if everybody's streaming and nobody's buying DVDs anymore, then that's going to really tank how much we can charge. And if they if they bring the price down, then we're not making any money. They're in control sort of our of our business model in a sense. But if they say, well, we can have our own streaming service, and they can hire us, and they can charge what they want. 
they can charge a higher amount because nobody else can have their content. So if you want to watch Born Identity, then whatever company made Born Identity is going to, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a higher cost. And if you want it, you pay for it. Well, the funny thing about HBO Go is their service is basically, their download and streaming service is basically free. As long as you are using an existing cable provider who, um, and you're paying for HBO. So they're, they're not kind of making any extra money, but it's just like a tie into your existing cable subscription, which is a really strange way of doing it. Right. Well, you know, kind of, I just read an article last night, which is sort of similar, which is about the, um, the whole uh, Amazon is, is, is creating a new service where they, where they deal directly with the authors. And so oh, the, yeah. without, without having a publishing house or an agent or anything like that. Yeah. And that's just the, the publishing houses are flipping out. Right. I mean, they're so nervous because, you know, publishers take a huge cut of the book sales. Mm-hmm. And if, Am- if something like Amazon, because Amazon just has, is so dominant now that you have to be on Amazon. And if, if they compete with the publishing houses, so an author, and, and they create their own sort of editorial services and, and their own sort of like, you know, people who work with the authors and help them shape their book a little bit and get it out, then much bigger percentage of the profits can go to the, the authors, which will make the authors much happier. Yeah, they've right? got to sell a lot yeah. less books. And, and they probably will sell those books through Amazon, especially with Amazon promotion. Yeah. And so, I mean, it'll happen eventually. I mean, to some degree, but a lot of times it's like, it's not like everything is gone, but it's like, uh, a lot of it has changed. You know, it's like, it'll, it'll eat a, eat into a big percentage of it. Um, some people will, the publishing houses will have, so if they copyright, so lots of books people are going to want, and some people want physical books and they're not going to, you know, in some percentage of it. And I mean, I don't know how much of Amazon's business model has to do with ebooks versus regular books, but you know, I don't think it's going to be a complete domination, but it'll definitely make a big, take a big chunk out of it. Well, Amazon also have started their own streaming service and that's part of Amazon prime. Um, so with, with Amazon prime, you spend 79 bucks and basically then delivery is free from that point forward. So you, you could like order a, um, a bar of chewing gum to be delivered to your house every day for a year and you wouldn't pay any more money. Right. So, but, but included in Amazon Prime is the streaming of everything that they have. So they basically have their own Netflix competitor as well. Yeah. Well, we have Amazon Prime, which is awesome. I love it. You know, yeah. I mean, just be able to order a book and it's free shipping, two-day delivery. It's fantastic. Yep. You know, so um, I don't know. Are you an ebook guy or do you like physical books or do you care? I, th- I think I'm, uh, I th- either way, I like both. You don't mind? No, I don't mind, no. Yeah, Sandy, she's a huge, she, she has her nook, and so she loves nook. She, she doesn't buy physical books anymore, and she is, yeah. you know, and she reads so fast that <laughs> she, and she, and when she runs out of books, she wants something new, she can just buy it, you know, instantaneously using her nook. She doesn't have to go and order it and wait for a couple of days or go to the bookstore. So, but I still like looking through books. I don't really like reading this the, on the screen so much. I, I kind of like being able to flip through it and hold the book and, I don't know. I guess I'm a little. I like audio books. You know, I, I, oh, you know what I was talking about? I wanted to get an audio book, so I got an uh, Cryptonomicon. Okay. And how's it go? Oh, let's see. I'm in like, well, an hour in. It's a slow start. It's yeah. a slow start. <laughs> but you, we've know. got so many recommendations on the, on the podcast. Like, well, uh, you yeah, should probably well, listen to some of those. Well, you know, okay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give ne- uh, Cryptonomicon. I keep saying Necronomicon from. <laughs> do you know what Necronomicon is from? The Necronomicon? Nope. Do you see um, Army of Darkness? No. Oh, God, you got to see that. Army of Darkness is, I mean, it's a campy movie, but it's hilarious. Do you remember Evil Dead? 
the yeah. scary movie. You remember Evil Dead? They, yeah. the, the character's name is Ash, and he's fighting, and he gets his hand taken off, and he, he puts a like a chainsaw on the end of his hand, and it's on his arm, which replaces his yeah. hand. You remember that? And he fights the demons. Well, then Army of Darkness is the next one he gets thrown into this other universe, and he's just talking trash to all the demons. It's hilarious, and so he has to get the, the Necronomicon as part of it. So That's why I keep saying Necronomicon. What's the reader like on that book? I don't know. I, I, I seems fine. I mean, he seems fine. I, so I he's not he's not bugging you. He's not kind of making it go slower or anything. No. What is is that like? So they have this part with Turing and this guy. I can't remember the character's name. Yeah, I can't forget his name. But um, they're uh, you know they're talking about um, you know the Principia Mathematica and stuff. I don't know. I was like, come on, let's get going with the story. It's like it's just boring, you know. It's like come on, and maybe it's one of those things that just takes a while to get started. I, I I think I might just be impatient. I maybe I'm hard to please with novels. Like I just like let's get into the story, and and that's you need a fast pace. So you probably shouldn't be getting the unabridged versions. You should yeah. be getting the the kind of edited for audio versions. I think I must I must need to get those because I, I just I'm I'm impatient and I want to get into the story and I hate overly descriptive books. And they spend like two right. pages. I just kill. I think when you were talking about, I think you were talking about the, one of the EMM, Ian M. Banks books. And you're like, well, they were so detailed and so um, textured. I think that probably would kill me. Right. I like dialogue and action. <laughs> I don't like, like, you know, this, like, I don't know, just this slow pace stuff. You know, one of my favorite books of all time, I guess everyone liked it when they were a kid, was uh, Catcher in the Rye. He just opens up and you're cooked within the first paragraph. You I'm, I'm telling you, you should get Red Mars by Ben Bova. Red Mars? You, you'll, yeah, Red Mars by Ben Bova. You'll like it straight away. But you know, one thing I noticed about some of these books, and, and these are books that I read as much as, I mean, because um, one of the books that a lot of people recommended was uh, Damon by um, Daniel Suarez. Have you yeah. read that book? Or read that book? No. So essentially the, the gist of it, I mean, I'm not giving anything away. This is like on the book cover, whatever. It's like some game, brilliant genius game designer dies as millionaire game designer. And he sort of sets loose this computer program, this daemon, and people start getting killed as a result of it. And, and there's these cops and everybody's out, you know, trying to figure out what's going on and these cyber specialists. And it, it's, it's kind of neat concept. You know, I, I kind of like it, but there was one part of it that was just so stupid that I just like, when I see something that dumb, I just like want to stop because there's one guy, he's like this police detective and he's having an affair with this woman. He meets her, like he meets up with his, his, his girlfriend or whatever, right? Meets her to her room and they have this like martial arts fight, you know, kind of like a la the Pink Panther, you know, the Pink Panther, uh, remember the Pink Panther movies with Clouseau, we would have like a Kung Fu fight with his, um, with his butler. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it was just silly. But it was the same kind of thing. And then they, so they have this like fight, martial arts fight in her apartment. And then they, and then they, you know, start having some, you know, then they start getting hot and heavy. And you're just like, really? That is so stupid. <laughs> I mean, right. I, never had so, I mean, I'm fine. I'm with suspension of disbelief. I'll go with you. I will go with you on the whole, like, you know, Damon set aside. But I just can't go with you on the kung fu fight between the guy and his girlfriend. It's just too stupid. I mean, why did you have to write that? You know, you're just killing me. All right, listen, I've, I've sent you a link to that book. It's actually not Red Mars. It's just Mars by Ben Bova. So um, I Googled for Ben Bova Mars Audible. And actually, the top link comes from Amazon. Um, so Amazon will sell it to you. And uh, you can get it real cheap. I got, Audible, I got an Audible. I got like four, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll just get it through Audible. So it's, it's Mars. Oh. But honestly, this one, because of the, the, the character of the, vo- the guy's voice, mm-hmm. I just feel sure that you'll like it. You, 
it, maybe you won't, but I just feel sure you'll get it's, straight into it. Uh, I just am patient, I guess, and, and maybe that's a problem. Maybe I have uh, eighty, <laughs> and I just can't. I just when it comes to novels, it's like if it's just not moving. But and also, like I said, the def, if something's dumb. It just it just irritates me to no end. But you know, that said, it's like I have like I'm just looking at still Damon Damon because I forgot that I was reading it like a couple years ago because someone had recommended. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good book. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm 157 pages into that, so I might give it another shot. But I think after I saw the Kung Fu fight, I just like, this is stupid. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest All thing. All right. Well, and we're, I think we've, we've done our time. We've done it. We've done it, if you want to call it. Yeah. We can call it. I was going to ask you the plug numbers. You never get the plug numbers. Uh, sure. I'll, I'll give them to you quick. Basically, the, I had actually overestimated the plug numbers last month. Yeah. Um, mm. So they ended up being 3,051 last month. Okay. And this month, well, we're the 30th of October, so we do have one day left, but so far we're 3,138. Ah, so, so we're part of the 3,250. Okay. Yeah, so it, it may end up being 32, um, based on what comes in tomorrow, but uh, yeah, it's looking good. Still going up. It's still an upward trend. All right. Yes. Good stuff. All right. Well, that's a wrap. We're out.